today on Tea and Teaching. Mm. Can teaching be a sustainable career choice? Well, the, the answer is yes. Uh, is it at the moment? Probably not. Um, but it's the question that we're asking um, as part of our campaigning work now, and this is fairly new work that we've been doing um, with our stakeholders at school leadership, um, MAT leadership, and um, national sort of DFE and, and, and government level. Stability builds on stability. Um, it's almost like inheritance, isn't it? Like money breeds money. And so if you have a well-established, stable school, you're more able to do well-established, long-term strategic thinking. But if you're, if you're in, in, a, in an unstable position for whatever reason, you're constantly on rocky ground and you're not able to get that foothold in necessarily um, to be able to do the strategic thinking. Can teaching be a sustainable career choice? Well, the, the answer is yes. Uh, is it at the moment? Probably not. Um, but it's the question that we're asking um, as part of our campaigning work now. And this is fairly new work that we've been doing um, with our stakeholders at school leadership, um, MAT leadership and um, national sort of DFE and, and, and government level. Stability builds on stability. Um, it's almost like inheritance, isn't it? Like money breeds money. And so if you have a well-established, stable school, you're more able to do well-established, long-term strategic thinking. But if you're, if you're in, in, a, in an unstable position for whatever reason, you're constantly on rocky ground and you're not able to get that foothold in necessarily um, to be able to do the strategic thinking. Welcome back to Tea and Teaching. We are lucky enough to be joined today by a friend of the pod coming back for a second appearance, Emma Shepherd. Emma, welcome back to Tea and Teaching. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't have enough fun the first time, so I'm coming back to see if we can enjoy ourselves a bit more. <laughs> I know. Me and Mike have often referenced our first episode when we talk about kind of reflecting upon previous episodes that we want to go even more into. So just in case people didn't hear that first episode, in case people mm. don't know who Emma Shepherd is, do you want to give us the quick Emma Shepherd story and what you do now? Sure. So I'm the founding director. That's a term I've recently started using for myself. Founding director of a charity called the Maternity Teacher Paternity Teacher Project. It's the UK's charity for parent teachers. Um, and we were initially founded in 2016 when I was on uh, maternity leave with my son, Hugo. He's now a big boy, almost seven and a half. Hopefully he won't interrupt us uh, this evening because he's next door in bed, hopefully asleep. Um, and the, the charity grew um, over my second maternity leave with Lucy in 2018. <clears throat> and we um, offer coaching, networking opportunities. Um, we do research into the, the motherhood penalty in education um, and lots of training and things for schools as well to, to make teaching um, a more family friendly profession. And, and one of the questions I know that we're going to ask today is, is around whether teaching is sustainable, um, particularly when you become a parent. Before that, I was a lead practitioner. And well, alongside that for a long time, I was a lead practitioner um, in a big academy trust in London. I've got experience working uh, in South Asia, in France more recently. Um, and I trained through Teach First in 2010 as an English teacher. So um, it was sort of lots of coalface, um, as it were experience or chalk face experience in in the classroom um, as a middle leader um, in various roles uh, in disadvantaged schools but also um, re-qualified as a coach fairly recently and, and I'm leading the MTP project full-time now. It's nice to have a fellow Teach First again on the pod 
Um, Mike is actually, for those who can't see, Mike's actually wearing our I Love Teach First hoodie, which um, he likes to wear. Um, so, Mike, if we talk about Teach First, you can just nod and go, yes, awesome, Brilliant. love, awesome. love everyone love in Teach First. Um, but let's jump into it, Emma, <laughs> as you kind of alluded to. Don't give Mike a chance to reply. That's the key on team teaching. We're going to talk today about the question of whether can teaching be a sustainable career choice? So mm. I suppose I should just throw that question at you. Emma, mm. can teaching be a sustainable career choice? Well, the, the answer is yes. Uh, is it at the moment? Probably not. Um, but it's the question that we're asking um, as part of our campaigning work now. And this is fairly new work that we've been doing um, with our stakeholders at school leadership, um, MAP leadership and um, national sort of DfE and, and, and government level. Um, and we're using this term sustainable to to describe the sort of lifelong career of a teacher rather than the athlete's career that we've got at the moment where teachers um, can give everything to the profession uh, in their in their 20s and then what we find from our audience is that um, a baby comes into the mix and suddenly um, the hours the emotional strain of teaching um, the sometimes thankless tasks of teaching suddenly aren't possible um, with uh, a baby at home or something else at home that that means that you can't do um, do the job in the same way that potentially we're trained to do the job in in our 20s or that we are asked to do the job um, and so we see uh, the largest attrition rate is amongst women aged 30 to 39. But actually, if you look at the attrition rate amongst um, 30 to 49 year olds of both genders, um, that accounts for more than half of our teachers leaving the profession. So we really see at the moment um, teaching being a profession that is we've got one of the youngest populations in, in Europe, for example. So really teaching for somebody who can um, do all the hours that God sends. <clears throat> but then actually when when life uh, becomes more important or when life becomes something that is more than or different to teaching, then actually teaching becomes unsustainable. And we see that really clearly amongst women aged 30 to 39. Um, so at the moment, no, uh, but we really believe it can be. Um, in some schools, it already is. Um, and those schools are often uh, schools that value their staff really, really highly, treat their staff like human beings and beings and have really compassionate leadership and really sensible leadership. Um, but that is unfortunately not the case for every school. Um, and ironically, many of the schools that are working in that family friendly, life friendly, sustainable way aren't the ones sort of shouting from the rooftops and getting a lot of publicity for it. They're just quietly going about their business uh, running good schools leaders running good schools and, and students having a wonderful time and staff really enjoying um, their roles and feeling really fulfilled in their roles we don't necessarily always hear about those sustainable schools i think it's a really interesting topic because the way you talk about sustainability especially with kind of um mums is there's there's really big stuff that's really important to kind of making teachers mm. sustainable but it's also the little things um mm. and I, I bring up to us on the day we're recording um, it was my uh, son's nativity show and my wife, who mm. is a teacher, like asked for the morning off to go. And it was like not even a question, leave given. Mm -hmm. And that makes for her, that school, a sustainable career choice because she's not missing out on those little things. And it's a combination of those little things and then these huge kind of issues that kind of as a teaching as a whole where we're at sustainable. Um, and I think, Mike, it's worth noting that we're both married to teachers uh, and we both have children. So that's kind of our kind of male kind of relationship with kind of the motherhood situation in teaching. But Emma, you talk to a lot of 
teachers, you talk to a lot of schools. Is there kind of the big theme at the moment that makes teaching, let's use the word unsustainable for for families and for, for teachers? Mm. Well, workload always tops the bill for any demographic that you talk to in terms of why are you thinking of leaving teaching or what's stressful about teaching or why did you leave teaching? So, so workload is always number one, and that's true for for our um, audience as well. But that that nativity piece that you just spoke about, it is, it is the time of year for that. And it's um, so interesting how um, anecdotal stories like that match the bigger research, the bigger data that we have around why women aged 30 to 39 are leaving when they're mothers. Um, and it's because events like that, so um, children's graduations, children's nativities, um, appointments, um, time off when children are sick, uh, weddings of close family members religious celebrations those small what seems like small moments um are real value statements um and when uh when employees when colleagues when teachers become parents um there's a real sort of there's sometimes a, a shifting of values there's sometimes a, a reaffirming or concreting of values that um were present before but become absolutely non-negotiable when they when they have children Actually, there are these tipping points like the nativity or the first day of school. But if they see, well, this is what my life is going to be like for the foreseeable future. If I remain in this profession, I'm going to be constantly denied these moments that actually are far more important to me than than standing in front of year nine and, and teaching them how to conjugate verbs right now. Um, so am I going to make the choice to constantly sacrifice those moments in my child's life for the next 18 plus years? Or is now the moment where I say, well, that is too important or moments like this are too important for me um, to miss. And so I'm, I'm going to step away now rather than set myself up on a road to miss that. And a lot of the um, participants in our research study that we did, we did a big research study into women aged 30 to 39, why they'd stayed in the classroom, why they'd left the classroom. And I cannot tell you the amount of times that first day of schools, um, core treatment around absence for dependence leave, nativities, assemblies, um, speech days, uh, prize givings came up, sports days um, as being tipping points for people. But also when people saw older colleagues being treated badly for instances like that. So there's a very um, vivid instance where a research participant spoke about being in the staff room and a colleague coming in in tears because she'd not been allowed to go to her, her teenage daughter's assembly. She'd not been allowed to cover um, for that and, and sort of crying in the staff room. And, and this colleague who wasn't even part of that conversation had overheard it and she'd had a small baby and thought, well, that's the crystal ball of what life is going to be like for me. Therefore, I'm making a choice now not to not to sign up for that. So, um, so yes, workload, but also the the sort of, the perception of choice or the enforced choice between career and family life which i i we could go on to whole thing whether that we could talk about that outside of teaching but i was wondering mike because i know mine has has your kind of perception changed of this as you've kind of let's take mike as an nqt back in the day does mike does mike think about whether he's going to be able to be in a school that allows him to go to uh his daughter's first nativity Absolutely not. Like I think in the first few years of my teaching, I, I lived and breathed my job. Like I was willing to work 60 hour weeks. I remember one summer holiday going in and painting the PE department because 
it needed a lick of paint and the site team couldn't do it. I was like so committed to my job. And now, you know, it's not that I'm not committed. It's that I want to get home and see my daughter at the end of a working day. So I think it's definitely made me a less committed professional. Um, I thought it would do the opposite. I thought that having a child would make me think like, oh, what if I was teaching my child in this class? Like always thinking, what if my child was in this class? Is my teaching good enough to teach my child? Would I trust myself to teach my child? Um, and I think it's actually gone the opposite way um, where I've started viewing it more as a job and less as a, maybe a lifestyle choice in a way of like, I don't want to live and breathe my job. I've got this other responsibility outside of school. And I had a, an interesting conversation with some year 11s recently. We were talking about the fact that they've got, you know, five months, six months left of school and that actually they need to put some other things on hold and prioritize revision. And they were saying, oh no, sir, we need balance. So we need to have all our hobbies still. We need to have this. And we were talking about our, the fact that balance is a bit of a myth that you you never, everything in your life is never balanced. That sometimes during the school holidays, I'm not thinking about school. I'm not worrying about school. I've, I've unbalanced that part of my life and I've, I've kind of focused more on my family, my friends, my hobbies. And then during term time, there's sometimes busy weeks where I, I can't prioritize my family, unfortunately. I have to prioritize my job. There are things that come up and I, I miss bedtimes and bath times. And I sometimes don't see her in the morning because I've got to get in early and do some something. So that I think it, for me, it's where you can morally settle yourself. Can you accept that sometimes because of your job, your family is not going to be a priority? Um, and that's that's not doing it in a cold way for me. That's just accepting that. Because if I can if I can accept that, I can maybe not get as frustrated with myself in those weeks because I then know there's going to be other times where my family is absolutely my priority, and then I get that those opportunities to do those things and spend that time. And but do you think there's there's a limit there, isn't there? So you're talking about I can make it for a day, maybe a week, but if I said during third time every single day has to be school priority, then that that balance that kind of we've spoke about there would be unbalanced absolutely i think everyone's got their breaking point haven't they and i think maybe like you were saying as an nqt my breaking point was a lot more balanced towards my career as opposed to now it's a lot more if i'm not getting what i want in terms of my kind of work-life balance then that's when i'm going to start questioning i don't know my school my career you know my choices Emma, I, is I, there I, a relation I, between? Yeah. Sorry, Emma. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm just going to. I thought your your use of priority there, Mike, was um, a really interesting choice of words, and I, and I almost want to challenge that maybe it's not. It's not maybe the right choice when you're talking about you know sometimes my family are not my priority. I, I don't you know I only know you you through my professional networks, but I would probably argue that your family are constantly your priority. But actually, Absolutely. during that term time, you've you understand the the pattern of um the famine and feast pattern in, in the same way that you sort of think about military on placement you know there's that famine and feast pattern of term time versus holidays um and and during the term time because you have made your family a priority you know over the course of the year you know that everybody's in the right place and everybody's got their needs met during that um sort of famine period of family or that feast period of work um but there, I think from from our audience, we know that there are there are people who very much 
um, see the long-term benefits of teaching in that way. So they accept that fandom feast um, rotation and they know that during um, term time, certain things will have to be put in place. So maybe that might be wraparound care, might be childcare sort of nannying, or it might be a partner who takes on the majority of the childcare or use of grandparents or, um, you, you know, children who who come, come and sit at school whilst you're in SLT meetings or whatever. But actually the payoff is is in that holiday period that very few careers get um, and the ability to be in a career for long enough to know where to be efficient so you talked about you talked about your job being just a job now and you said you weren't maybe as committed as you had been as an NQT but I'd argue that with the you know maybe not going in and painting the 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 PE, the PE department anymore um, <laughs> nobody can see us as being very mean and laughing at that but I think that's very sweet um every, every school needs to teach like that but you are arguably more efficient and therefore have greater wisdom and, and provide your school with that sustainability because you're saying not everything needs to be done right now. We don't need to knee jerk. We don't need to panic because I, I need to go home and do bath time for bedtime. And that's more important right now. And we can deal with everything else slowly and properly and, and in the due time. And I think that's why mid-career teachers, parent teachers, teachers with other priorities in their life are so important to our sector because they they do have that perspective um, and they can say, you know, yeah, I see that this is an urgent issue, but it's already 6.30 and there's nothing more that we're going to do about it until eight o'clock tomorrow morning when we're feeling refreshed and we can sit down and think about this more strategically um, rather than we're going to pull an all-nighter and like run ourselves ragged in order to to solve something inefficiently and badly because we're tired and stressed absolutely and if my wife listens to this podcast exactly what you said emma not what i said <laughs> always my priority luckily she doesn't <laughs> <laughs> so emma i was wondering you you kind of what we're speaking about about a mixture of the little things and the big things you you work with a lot of schools is there a a, a link between those schools schools who do it well is there something that they are all doing is it or is it so contextual and is it also contextual to ourselves as individuals that there's almost not like a you can't just put a pro forma like this is how you solve that problem go yeah i mean the the I'd, i suppose the consistent factor is compassionate leadership human leadership um and no matter what state a school is in and i'm talking you know you've got incredibly challenging environments you've got incredibly privileged environments um very stable schools very unstable schools for whatever reason um the the big difference in terms of the staff morale the staff loyalty the staff well-being is the compassion and leadership so we work for schools that are you know have have all, all the problems going on but at the end of the day, if their staff need a little bit of leverage, they will find a way to provide their staff with that leverage. If their staff request flexible part-time working, they will find the way to offer that. If their staff need to, to drop everything and run because of childcare issues, they will find ways to do that because they know that their staff are the most important assets. And, and for some leaders, it is it comes completely from compassion in that, you know, this is we work with human beings and this is just the the moral ethical way to treat another human being um and they have that perspective that 
yes, we have needs as a school, but these human needs trump that right now. And these individual needs trump that right now. And no matter what I'm going to be asking from this person as a professional, if their personal is not sorted, they're not going to be able to give that to me. Um, so, so there's that, but there's also leaders who come from it very strategically and they know that if somebody leaves them because they're not happy with the way they're being treated, it's going to be phenomenally difficult to replace them. So they'd rather work with the people and treat the people that they've got well and invest in those staff than um, go through the, the expense, the rigmarole, the hassle, the instability, the inconsistency of trying to replace somebody because they don't get their first day at school with their own child. Yeah, I was about to pick up on that point, Emma. Is, have you seen a, a shift in that as the retention crisis kind of deepens, where teachers almost become a little bit more powerful in their position because the thought of making a member of staff unhappy and leaving and then trying to get a teacher in a market where there are no teachers, that's such a, a grave thought for a lot of head teachers that actually they're a little bit more willing to compromise and bend to meet the needs of their staff than maybe they were when we had kind of teachers everywhere and 100 applicants per job hmm. um i'd like to say yes <laughs> um, do we need a deep retention crisis in order for that to happen um, that's the key to to treating teachers well is to have no teachers there was just one <laughs> teacher there was just one teacher they'd be treated so well yeah. nativities every week They'd never be in school because they'd constantly be just like doing what they wanted um, <laughs> so that they'd stay. Uh, no. So we've definitely seen, and I'd say even since the summer of this year, and, and that might be because the MTPG project has grown and, and we've had more time to invest in what we're doing and, and network and, and build our relationships with key people. And, you know, I've had the time to just throw out emails or attend events and say, hi, this is who we are and what we do. Um, but there's definitely been a bit of a turnaround in terms of the response to us. And, and I, I suppose three, four years ago, um, it would be like, oh, that's so nice what you do for mums with their babies. Well, yeah, that is really important to, oh, uh, we need to talk to you because you might have some answers that we don't have yet because we're in, we're in a real bad place. And actually, we might need to be thinking about this differently. Um, so that's the, that's definitely the sort of tone we've seen fairly recently in, in terms of shift. But then that's also because you speak if you speak to one right person and they like what you do and they see what you do and they understand the impact of what you do, then they talk to their friends who are also at the same level. And then you and then you start to get into sort of um, places of, of greater influence and in decision making, as it, as it were. Um, but also we're now in a position where we have impact data based on our coaching um, and our return to work workshops and um, attrition and, and flexible working and people like data people like to see impact of what you do and, and the fact that we're able now to say this is our audience this is a problem this is the solution and, and here's the impact of the solution that that is really helpful um, but unfortunately still amongst our sort of grassroots audience we are still steering, hearing like just horrible stories i mean even even today through through our twitter dms um we we have put a, a poll out asking how many debt paid days dependents leave colleagues get because somebody was saying you know i'm being penalized i don't get any paid days dependents leave and, and i'm having to spend a long time at home with with my daughter who is who is unwell she had an accident um and i'm not getting paid my pay is getting docked how do i address this with my school 
Um, and we're still hearing of, of situations of you know extreme discrimination, of, of people being told we would have chosen you for this position, but you've had a year on maternity leave and this guy hasn't, so we chose him over you. Um, and, and so really sort of flagrant um, discrimination based on periods of maternity leave or, or based on sex in, in terms of, of motherhood or caring responsibilities. Um, and we've still got enormous elephants in the room in terms of you know, it, where fathers are concerned, they get a week of paid paternity leave and, and a week paid at their, their head teacher's discretion and then they're back in, in the workforce. And you think, well, if we've got such a, a big teacher retention crisis, then maybe we should be competing with some of the other industries that actually treat fathers like real parents as well. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and sort of like return to work experiences where people are coming to our return to workshops and saying, should any of anybody have visited me or spoken to me because I know when I had two days off with the flu last year I had a return to work meeting but I've just had six months on maternity leave and nobody's asked for a meeting with me should that be something that I should expect or in a policy somewhere or ask for so unfortunately we're still hearing a really poor practice on the ground um, despite the fact that there there has been a big big shift sort of high at higher level to, to say right yeah nationally we need to do something more about this in your experience Emma when we're talking about school leaders making these decisions around pay return to work meetings uh giving to people time off to go to the little things nativities and first days of school do we do we know is that just because these leaders are unaware that they are maybe even breaking the law they are unaware what the law is they are unaware what they are doing is affecting someone or are they choosing to ignore it like do, do we can we know that do we know why they're doing it and I mean I think we need to pause and really empathize with school leaders like <laughs> I've never led a school um and and, and there's a there's a huge deal of pressure and, and and the school leaders that I coach you know number of coaching calls I have cancelled because there's a safeguarding emergency they just have to deal with right there so their protected time for development or thinking space or reflection is just is constantly being ripped away from them um, so I think, you know, a huge amount of empathy and understanding for the pressures on school leadership that mean they're just they're firefighting a lot of the time. And actually, the schools and, and trusts that are able to sit down and, and have strategic conversations, like how many of our line managers are trained in, in the, the Equalities Act 2010? How many of our schools have a robust return to work procedure? How many, you know, have we put this opportunity in the newsletter? Um, you know, the, the number of schools that are able to do that are the schools who are very stable already. And so it's almost that sort of, Stability builds on stability. Um, it's almost like inheritance, isn't it? Like money breeds money. And so if you have a well-established, stable school, you're more able to do well-established, long-term strategic thinking. But if you're if you're in, in, a, in an unstable position for whatever reason, you're constantly on rocky ground and you're not able to get that foothold in necessarily um, to be able to do the strategic thinking. So I think, you know, on some occasions, leaders might full know that what's happening is not legal or not ethically right, but they might have far bigger fish to fry right in front of them, right there, that might have much more significant consequences. So that's that's important to sort of acknowledge, and that's the state of education that needs needs to be addressed. I mean, we can't we can't create a sustainable education if our leaders are 
floundering constantly and not able to show compassion because they're just trying to survive themselves. Um, but also I think there's, you know, there's nothing in the MPQs that necessarily teaches somebody about what pregnancy and maternity discrimination looks like. And there's nothing in the MPQs that goes through the school's workforce census data. So a lot of the time when I do my training sessions to head teachers and I show them the school's workforce census data, they are surprised and, and they are shocked and they don't know the exact figures. So here's a fun one. Um, women aged 30 to 39 who remain in teaching currently make up 24% of our teacher workforce. So a quarter of our teachers are women aged 30 to 39. That's more than all of our male teachers all put together. I think all of our male teachers make up about 20 to 22% of our workforce. So, you know, if that bracket is such a significant part of our workforce, why aren't we doing anything to, to meet their needs? Um, and women aged 39 make up 20% of our leavers, and that's more than both genders of our ECTs, and that sort of five-year, you know, that magic three to five-year retention rate that gets so much attention in the news. It's all over the, the party um, manifestos in terms of what we will do to recruit, what we will do to retain within the first three years. Um, and actually, we, the, there's a hundred, well, no, a thousand, about a thousand less of those younger teachers leaving than just women aged 30 to 39 and not a single one of the political parties is talking about what they're going to do for mother teachers who are the women who are leaving in that age bracket i don't know what to say there mike like, <laughs> <laughs> like we're both married to women who tick that box for one of a better like are in that bracket um and like Mike, you were talking about teachers learning how much maybe they have more power than they did when there wasn't the uh, recruitment crisis. Maybe we need to start talking about the retention crisis and making women like empowering them with that knowledge, as as you do all the time, Evan. Be like, well, you kind of need to like make your school better here. Um, and I was as you were talking, Evan, like I was wondering, is that because so many of our school leaders, as we got up, and we talk, we can talk about how also they aren't effing they do but I, I imagine most of the people we're talking about that 30 to 39 bracket aren't head teachers yet I imagine most of those are I wouldn't know the stats but middle middle leaders senior or new senior leaders Mike's does that sound about right yeah yeah I think it depends doesn't it I think there's I don't know many head teachers who are under 40 yeah seen a few so seen what I mean is by the time you get to that stage, maybe you've kind of gone through that kind of period of your life. And, you know, like when you have your second child and you forget how much feeding they need or how many nappies they have to change. Is it by the time our leaders are getting to head teach stage where they can have these big impacts upon their schools or their mats, that that's just not a mm -hmm. it's not a, a focus of, of their lives. And then it's not them being unethical. It's just not something that is the forefront of their mind is maybe it is right now with us for example mike this is something that's very kind of in our world right now so it's something we are thinking about something we are talking about but we didn't do that as nqts because we weren't thinking and talking about because it, it wasn't part of our lives i don't know I, yeah. I i would say it might be that the the pressure for performance as a school is so much greater than it was two decades ago that scrutiny on headline figures on attendance data and it's it's almost like as a head teacher I'm fighting for my own job here we all know that 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 lifespan of a head teacher 
has reduced so much over the last 20 years. You know, I think, I, Emma, you might know this better than me. I, isn't it like the, the average head teacher lasts three to five years in a job or something like that now? They're not sitting in there and doing 20, 30 years like they maybe would have done you know, years ago. And is it not that that's that pressure to perform as a school? And actually you're like, oh, I want to give you the time off, but I can't afford to give you the time off and cover year 11 again. We need to get these grades. We need to achieve this. Mm-hmm. Is it something to do with that as well? So I, I mean, I don't, I don't know those stats that you're referring to, but I do know that there is a 2016 report about school leadership um, and the sort of demographics of school leadership. And, and one of the things that it does talk about is the age of first-time headship. So what you were talking about there, Arthur, and I think it is around 40. Please don't quote me, anybody listening on that, but it's there's a 2016 BFE report that will tell you exactly those figures. Women, women get there a year later. I remember that one. The men, which I was surprised about, so I thought it would be more than that, actually. Um, but just back to your point, Arthur, about, you know, is it a priority? Is it, is it fresh in their minds? Um, a lot of the head teachers that I speak to have, have vivid, vivid memories of what it was like to be a new parent and, and, and be working in schools. And a lot of the, the attitude of people who, who come and work with us, because they're sort of, they're the converted already, as it were, is, I don't see why everybody should have, you know, should have had to have the hard time that I had. I want it to be better for people. Now, unfortunately, um, often we we lose mothers before they get to that position, or they stagnate and then and then they leave. So, um, the 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 most recent and it's old, but the most recent figure we have is that of the head teachers who are women, sixty percent are mothers. Of the head teachers who are men, ninety percent are fathers. So it's just much easier to get into headship as a father than it is to get into headship as a mother. So we're lacking those role models, firstly, at, at sort of that headship level. So if you're on your progression journey and you get to middle leadership and you think, you know, and you have your baby and you think, I want to be ahead at some point, but you can't see anybody doing that above you, then it's very difficult to see the blueprint and the pattern of exactly what the nuts and bolts of that journey looks like. Um, so so we see within our membership base a middle leadership ceiling so colleagues get to middle leadership and then they have their babies and then they sit there or they get demoted because they get told that they can't be a middle leader on uh, part-time hours um, or their progression to senior leadership is much slower and actually what we've seen over the last five years and this was part of the impact review that we did of our coaching programs was that we're now seeing women who took part in our coaching programs in senior leadership positions at school and trust level who are now sort of turning back inwards again and saying, now that I'm here, three to five years later, I'm out of the thick of it, as it were. Now what can we do on a school level? or Now what we can do at trust level to make sure that the journey that I had to slog my way through is is made easier for those those coming next, which is really exciting in terms of organisational impact. Um, But... But we we that those people are still um, minority, as it were. But what what we know is that coaching over the maternity period increases occupational ability for mothers teachers, um, which is really exciting. So that's a real practical thing that schools can do. For one thing, is is get yeah. those mothers coaching. I was going to ask Emma, like, what? Why do you think that coaching makes such an impact to kind? break through that kind of middle leader ceiling kind of you're talking about is it I'm just in that uh, maybe that's my question I don't want to go into too much detail like why is that coaching 
making such an impact at that level for those women kind of going forward with their careers? Because mm. I think, well, I mean, I'm a coach, I'm biased, and, and a lot of what we do at the MTPT Project is coaching. So just to contextualise that, I'm only going to sing its praises and say all the good things about it. Um, but I think particularly over parenthood, and it's not just ex ex sort of exclusive to mothers, fathers or parents, um, there's a very strong narrative of what you should be doing all the time. You know, baby sleep this way, baby feed this way, go to this class, talk to them in this way, eye contact, don't put them down, pick them up, contact nap, don't contact. You know, there's there's so many rules and shoulds and musts about parenting in the same way that teaching is such a highly monitored profession your starter has to last this minute don't talk too much keep your questions to this ask three kids before you move on you know and there's so much instruction in both of these roles that coaching is is one of the only spaces that that parents are, are given the time and the headspace to talk and to say what they want and to navigate what they want and to just decide what they want and when you give intelligent educated you know, motivated people who want control and autonomy over their situations, the opportunity to, to say, this is what I want, and this is how I'm going to get it, then they suddenly have that, that route through the challenges that they're facing. So instead of being in a position where they don't know what they want, firstly, because nobody's asked them, they are trapped by what they feel they should and shouldn't do and must and mustn't do. Um, they are limited and restricted by a whole load of perceived and assumed uh, ways of thinking. So I have to go and work part-time because that's what a good mum does. Um, I can't possibly go for that promotion on maternity leave because then I'd have to pay back all my paternity pay and we can't afford that. Um, I can't go to the senior leadership position now because then I'll have to work really hard and I won't be a good mum for my little girl, boy, whatever. All this, this sort of assumed and limited thinking um, opens up to instead say, I want that position. Therefore, I'm going and I also want to be what I perceive as to be as a good mum. And therefore, this is how I'm going to have the best of both worlds. So it, it empowers women and men when they come to us for coaching. But as you can probably imagine, that's fewer. We do have dads come to us for coaching. Um, but it empowers them to to realize that they are in control of their own destinies. And so they can do whatever the hell they want, um, just as long as they know what that path looks like. And they've, they've had the time and space to work it out. Interesting. So I was just, as you were talking, like the reason I left, one of the reasons I left schools was because I couldn't see how it was going to work with me as a father. And I was in that kind of middle lead position and I had the, the privilege of being in the man in all this. So like, it's a really interesting thing you're talking about kind of coming from it from a coaching aspect and like flipping those questions. And a lot of the questions you were saying there, Emma, aren't they? They're questions we, Mike, I know you work with teachers. They're questions you would ask teachers if you're purely talking about their teaching practice, like what, what do you want to do with your class? How can we get there? Let's ignore the things that we, we say or we think we have to do. Mike, I'm just like, in your experience of kind of working across loads of schools, we don't need to talk about any areas particular, but do you, is this something you've tried to bring into kind of your leadership, your leadership teams you work with, the kind of the meetings you're part of? Is, is this something that comes up or does it try and come up? Do we try and have those conversations more? I, I go back to what Emma said in terms of you're trying to be a compassionate leader. Um, and I think I'm a lot more understanding now since I've been through it myself. Uh, you were saying, Emma, in terms of, you know, I know 
I went, uh, I started a new job two weeks after my daughter was born. And that was incredibly stressful, but also I had two weeks with her. And I know, you know, we've got a, another one due. And I know I can probably only afford to take one week of paternity leave. I can't afford that second unpaid week. Um, you know, we would be in the red if I did that. So I know I'm already dreading that. So I think when someone comes to you with with an issue like that, you can't necessarily solve it yourself. You know, the advice you can give them is, you know, go and speak to HR, go and speak to the head teacher, you know, find people like yourselves, Emma, who can advise. Um, but it's about that compassion and that empathy towards them of just understanding maybe how they're feeling in that moment. The fact that it's not as simple as I am pregnant, I will leave two weeks before the baby's due, I'll have the baby, I'll come back to work. There's a lot of anxiety through every stage of that, of finding out you're pregnant, of then building up towards your mat leave, the anxiety you're going to feel there, the, the pressure you're going to feel to perform when you're maybe not feeling well, maybe feeling tired, maybe feeling anxious. And I just think as a school leader, it goes back to what Emma said in terms of being compassionate, being empathetic, understanding that we are people first and teachers second. Congratulations. Yeah, you haven't said that on the pod, pod oh, Mike. Yeah. So I can say oh, yeah. congratulations. <laughs> and I think by this time this comes out, I think Baba might be here. So that would be, maybe you could play that to Laura. <laughs> yeah that'll work that'll really there we go problem solved there mike uh we've we've solved the um the problem of sustainable teaching and we've solved that problem of the uh, birth emma i one question i have because we've talked about leadership we've talked about looking at this from a, a leadership coaching style let's say i'm i'm one of these kind of middle lead leaders um got a young child and i don't think i'm being supported by the school how i should be uh for whatever reasons what can I do as a teacher in that situation? Or what should I be doing if I don't think I'm being supported how I either want to be or should be? Or maybe they're the same thing. I think um, first step, implement some critical self-care to make sure that you are thinking rationally. Because often when we are tired and stressed, um, it, we're not necessarily our best selves to, to think rationally. So sleep <laughs> if you can first um and and do whatever is needed to to restore yourself as much as possible and um show yourself some some care and some love um but then figure out and write down is what i suggest exactly what it is that you are asking for um because often if you come to to leadership with with the problems um you're just you're, you're sharing a problem um but you're not actually giving them any way to help you and so if they if they are well-intentioned and want to fix things then they they may do help to you that is absolutely no help at all so actually if you you sit down and i mean this is a this is a really simple coaching technique write down everything that's wrong on one side of the piece of paper and write down the actual realistic practical solutions that you could request um, from a decision maker and what that would look like in real terms so that you can go to them and say listen i don't feel supported because of x I would like why is that a yes or a no I don't feel supported because of whatever I need Z can you give that to me and actually some of the, the adjustments that, that people need so I, I remember I was um, my second pregnancy was incredibly difficult <laughs> incredibly difficult emotionally 
Um, and, and there was only 18 months between my two. And so physically as well, running after a small child, I was and working full time in, in a challenging school. I was exhausted and incredibly emotional. And eventually when it sort of got to a head and, and I, I had to be driven home from school uh, at about 10 o'clock in the morning by the safeguarding league because I just I couldn't stop crying. Um, and after a, a day of sleeping <laughs> and talking to my mum, what what I figured out was that it, this fatigue was the biggest was the biggest issue. Um, and if I could have a slower morning, because I, I didn't start teaching on occasions until second period, um, then maybe that would that would help reduce this sort of anxiety and the pressure that I was feeling. And so I was able to go to my line manager and say, would it be possible on Thursdays? And Tuesdays for me to come in when I'm teaching rather than come in for 8.05 directed time. Is there somebody that could cover form time for me? And because I was able to come with that specific request, they they said yes straight away. Whereas if I'd come crying and saying everything is terrible and, and I'm so emotional and I'm having a really difficult time and everything's awful and, and they wouldn't necessarily have been able to help in that situation. So I think being really specific about your requests and what it is that you need and that you feel would help you in, in that situation. That feels like a nice point in which to kind of bring our conversation towards closing, because I think it's a really nice thing. Write down what you're asking for and kind of that structure you gave is a really nice way to have those difficult conversations. Um, and they can be difficult for kind of everyone involved because we need to sit down and have those conversations. And sometimes it's hard, hard to say, I need this to help me. Can you do this? Um, Emma, if people want to hear more about the awesome work you and the NTPT do, what do they do? Where should they go? Where can they find out more? So we have a website at www.mtpt.org.uk. We're active on Twitter and Instagram at MTPT Project. Um, and if you contact us through any of those means, then we can um, uh, put you in contact with one of our regional reps who they also host WhatsApp groups and have coffee mornings. We had one in Oxford um, just this morning um which is really lovely uh and yeah we get chatting about anything that you need awesome emma it's been such a pleasure having you back on the pod i know i said at the start that me and mike often refer to our first conversation as one of the pods that has restood out for us and like we genuinely do like we've spoke about that episode again and again um it's still a conversation that i speak to when i speak to teachers and middle leaders and other people in education um so thank you for that uh, and thank you for coming back on Tea and Teach and Stay. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Listeners, we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Tea and Teaching. We love Emma Shepherd. Um, I think I really enjoy speaking to her, Arthur, about how knowledgeable she is and how understanding she is and the amazing thing they're doing at MTPT. Um, yeah. Just, I love talking to Emma. I just, yeah, absolutely love having Emma on the pod. And just, there's so many things we could talk about there. Um, and I think it's definitely one of those pods that you need to kind of sit back and listen to. I'm going to listen to again when it comes out and kind of process that all again. Um, for you, Mike, there was, I mean, we could go through a huge list there, but what's that big standout point for you that something you're going to take away from this pod? Yeah, right it really on? resonated me when she was talking about just because you're not going through it yourself, doesn't mean you're not affected by seeing others go through maybe a struggle, maybe your, I don't know, let's say your school's not great at supporting people coming back from maternity leave or if they want to go part-time or something like that. 
And it's not just about the direct effect that has on that person. It's about the effect it has on others within your workplace who are seeing that and whether it's making them question their place in the profession or their place at your school. So I just think let's just treat everyone with the consideration and the kindness that they deserve. You know, we all do a different job, a difficult job. Let's, let's treat people as human beings and, and give them that care and compassion. What about yourself? Um, I really liked at the end when Emma was talking about some some of those practical practical things you can do when you need to go in as a teacher, when you need to ask some stuff from your school, maybe the stuff they're not providing, stuff they should be providing, stuff you want them to provide, and just sitting down and writing down not just a list of maybe your grievances or what you want, but being like, like this is what I need for you to support me. Like, can this happen? Like, this is what I'm going through. Can you support me by doing this? Yes or no. And that's a really nice way of kind of structuring what could be a really difficult conversation because you're probably talking to someone who's maybe your line manager or someone in SLT or even the head teacher. So kind of going in with that little prep um, with some clear questions um, that you thought about beforehand. It's just going to make that conversation um, a lot more practical and you're going to get out of it what you need to get out of it, whether it's positive or negative, but you're going to get some answers out of it. So I think that's a really nice thing to do. Um, and also a shout out for when she just spoke about the coaching um, aspect of what MTPT does and how that can really support um, like women, primarily 30 to 39, kind of going through that kind of middle leader scene. I thought that was really interesting, but uh, just a, a really good pod. Um, Emma's very much a friend of the pod and um, we, we really appreciate her time, don't we, Mike? Absolutely. So thank you to Emma and thank you to you listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tea and Teaching. If you've enjoyed the content of this episode, please feel free to share it with other educators. And if you're able to, please leave a review on the platform. And as always, thank you for listening to Tea and Teaching. Mm-hmm.